I don't know if I'd ever forgive myself if I didn't just try. Like, I'd yeah. already told myself that I should try to do this thing. So, so I did it. Jesus. And that was the first wallet I soloed. Um, That's athlete, writer, and photographer, Josie McKee. And this is the Wilder Mind Podcast. My mind grows wilder When I stoke that fire inside Hear the call in the distance It's a long road worth your while Hey, hi, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wilder Mind Podcast. I am your host, Cody Camerlin, and thank you so much for being here with the pod. Today, we'll hear from athlete, coach, writer, and photographer Josie McKee from our conversation in Yosemite earlier this October. Before we get started, a quick disclaimer. Josie and I discuss some traumatic events in this episode, both from her many years with the Valley SAR team of Yosar, Yosemite Search and Rescue, and a very personal experience she had when her friend and climbing partner Quinn Brett suffered a life-altering fall in Yosemite Valley on October 11th, 2017, nearly two years to the day before our conversation. As such, there is also a fair bit of strong language involved with parts of this episode. This recording took place after I'd recently linked up with dear friends Peter and Sua and Peter's father John, who was visiting from Georgia. We met outside of Mammoth in a primitive campsite for a chilly evening under the stars. After that night, being regaled by John's storied life over the campfire, we made our way into Yosemite Valley for some random adventures. As I laced up my trail running shoes and launched into the day's miles, I was reminded that it was just three years ago in October of 2016, that I first visited Yosemite Valley and climbed outdoors with a group trip hosted by Mesa Rim Climbing and Fitness Centers. I remember that first rainy morning, waking up to log my trail miles on the same paths that I now ran again, returning to camp to a warm meal and chats about the day's climbs. Later that day, as I stood at the base of the crag, mesmerized by the enormity of the stone above, I was in utter awe of the confidence and skills of the climbers as they seemed to effortlessly navigate this vertical world. When it was my turn to tie in and climb my first Yosemite slab, I found myself a mix of rattled nerves and adrenaline. Halfway up the wall, when the hold seemingly disappeared, my body began to shake in a way that I had never experienced before. During that trip, we learned about sport and track climbing, about reading climbing topos, building anchors, and all sorts of outdoor climbing-related things. A sort of gym to crag before they were popularly labeled as such. I've had quite a few moments of quiet reflection like that lately. Those ones where you realize that you've been building the skills and logging the miles for a life just like this for so long. The next day, waiting for Josie's schedule to link up with mine, I took a bit of a tumble as I hurried over the rocks at the base of El Cap to get in some quick trail miles. But more about that later, from Josie, as she willingly tended to my wounds. When I took the tumble, I remember the first thought that went through my mind was, well, of course, makes perfect sense that I'd have an accident just days before leaving my job 
and medical benefits. But honestly, you know what? Whatever. There are heaps of things that always held me back from making this leap. All these what-ifs and false senses of security. And sure, those are great, and I look forward to having them again someday. But here, right now, and for the foreseeable future, I am so damn happy. Happier than I have ever been. And no, it's not because I'm just out living a life of leisure and sitting on some sort of inheritance or giant savings. I have neither. Rather, I have just enough income to keep the bills paid, and that's about it. And on top of that, I have time to focus on the things and the people that matter, and that is the life that makes sense for me. That is a life worth fighting for. The doubt of our choices will exist no matter what we choose. Sit beside them just a bit and then push onward, upward, and keep doing whatever the hell it is that makes you feel like you're doing something worthy of this life. With that, join us in Yosemite Valley across from the storied Camp 4. As the sun sets and the world begins to tuck itself in for the night, Josie and I launch into a conversation covering many aspects of life unchained. Now, let's do the damn thing. Okay, here goes the Knob Creek Straight Rye Whiskey. I thought you said you didn't want any sponsors. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Starting this off with being thrown under. <laughs> All right, Josie. <laughs> Nailed it. So, Josie McKee, I'm glad this finally happened. Yeah, it's great to be here. Yeah, this is awesome. Well, um, I mean, I'll let you describe the way that uh, that today started, um, I'm just going to say this. I'm, I'm just going to mention that one of the main reasons that I really wanted to chat with you was about your your time and experience with EOSR and just all the amazing things you do to keep the community and safe in their time of need. Um, so I decided to fall while I was trail running today so I can give you some experience to remind you what that was like since you aren't actively doing that now. So I'll let you go from there. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I texted you and said, sorry, man, I'm running late. And then you're like, nope, uh, actually, I'm running late because I ran and wiped out. <laughs> actually going to hit you up for some medical care. So you get here with blood dripping down your face. Which I didn't realize I... it was actively dripping, but it looked <laughs> awesome. A hole in your leg, yeah. like literally a hole to the bone in the shin. And I think you need stitches, but this is maybe the second or third time a friend of mine's come to me and I said, you need stitches. And they're like, nope, yeah. you're going to fix me up. So yeah. <laughs> we took him over to the SAR site, fixed you up. <laughs> yeah. The SAR site's awesome, by the way. Yeah. I'm going to get in to hang out with, let me see if I can get, if I can get all the names. I can get one of them, Lauren. That's the only one I can remember. Yeah. So we hung out at Lauren's <laughs> cabin. Uh, 
We hung out with Mike and Nick took a look at it. Yeah. And then Lindsay Ham's over there visiting. Yeah. yeah <laughs> a little crew. Yeah, it was a solid crew. That was all and then grapes and watermelon. It was a good time. Yeah. Yeah. So um that's a great segue right into um your time at Yosar. I mean, I don't want to embarrass you, but the way that everybody respects you there is I think pretty telling of why you are here. And I mean, you're a prolific human in the climbing world, so I'm very psyched for this. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was blushing. <laughs> <laughs> it was really cool to see that just the uh, the respect everyone had for you there. Um, so yeah, what what got you into Yosar and that whole world? Well, I think a big part of it for a lot of us on the team was getting a good place to live in Yosemite, so you can go rock climbing as much as possible. But. Uh, yeah, I spent a number of years hanging out and climbing in the park and had some friends over the years that were on the SAR team. And it seemed like a good way to get engaged with the community and do my part to use the skills that I had to help out. Um, so I have a little background in wilderness medicine. I'm a wilderness EMT and um, have a lot of the rope technical skills as well. I learned a lot on SAR, but coming into it, I already had a background guiding and teaching some rescue skills and so I knew some of that stuff and then just added on to it when I got into SAR and oh yeah the the big part of what makes the SAR site special is years ago when it was first created the rangers had no idea how to deal with people falling and hurting themselves on walls because none of the rangers back then were climbers oh and sure. so they just kind of recruited some climbers Jim Bridwell was the father of Yosar basically yeah. he was the guy that they first came to and trusted and we're like yeah you can have a place to live and stay in camp for if you'll help us out with rescues and then bring some people that you trust and they can help too and so that was the beginning of the SAR site and that's kind of what I think our still background is about is people that know how to climb know how to get up these walls proficiently even though most of the rescues we do are not involving climbing at all at least they know that we have the skills to do that stuff if we have to. Oh, yeah. So. Wow. And, um, I mean, that's because just sitting there with everybody, the not only the love for climbing, but the technical knowledge of climbing and the approach that everyone there seems to take, that this is a dangerous activity. And they were very... It was different than, like, hanging out the crag, right? Mm-hmm. Where everyone's like, oh, I'm going to, like, try so hard on this. And, like, oh, if I take a big whip... That totally does not exist there in, the, in their conversations. Yeah. I think there's definitely some humility that comes with getting that firsthand experience and seeing what happens to people. Oh, I bet. I, I think it's important. I, what I really, it just came to my mind right now is uh, something that was part of my education as a climber is reading accidents in North American Mountaineering, like knowing that stuff happened. Yes. And then being involved with it here on SAR, it became that much more real, of course, but I think a lot of climbers these days don't get exposed to that stuff at all. No, and that, I've said so many times that people need to be, at minimum, reading those publications. Yeah. So they see the simple things that they forget to do lead to potentially very bad accidents. Catastrophic, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they talked about a 12-hour carryout um, while we were sitting there. What was, like, you know, your first year on Yosar, what was that like? I and mean, that had to be kind of, had to be pretty changing, right? Yeah. Um, we had a few fatalities that first year. Uh, 
luckily I didn't I wasn't involved directly with the couple of fatalities that happened while climbing. Um, I think I was out of town when those rescues went down, but just a few around the park that it's even, you know, people go hiking. People there's steep terrain around here that yeah. people don't know what they're getting into. Um falls off of the waterfalls is a oh, big one. Geez. Um, and that happens, I feel like almost every year somebody slips and goes over one of those things. And yeah, I remember, I, sorry if I get too dark all of a sudden, but, uh, there was a tree that fell on a young woman and killed her. Um, and then a couple days later, there was a suicide jumped off of a cliff here. Oh my God. And that kind of broke me down and there was this this kind of dichotomy of what people are going through it's like this young girl just got killed in like such a horrific chance accident right right? like she didn't even do anything wrong it just happened and then this i you know somebody that had some mental health related issues i think this was maybe the second or third time that that person had attempted to take their life and finally did it it's like man like we should cherish our lives yeah it's horrible that people get to that point that they want to take their own life after you know seeing all these things that like the the two sides of it that we had to respond to that i I remember that week was just a full breakdown and then we hit the bottle hard that week oh i believe it i believe it I mean, I'm not going to lie. We started this one off with beach, took a shot. <laughs> but I mean, you come here where you should, where, where maybe it should is the wrong word, where you would hope that you're reminded how beautiful life is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love, minus the traffic, I love driving into the valley because it's phenomenal. And it's like a breath of life into you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to see, like I said, the juxtaposition of somebody just out there enjoying life in a freak accident being struck and then somebody takes their life. Um, that's, that had to be pretty, pretty heavy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I never thought about, you know, having to deal with that, uh, being on Yosar. Yeah. Um, I didn't really think about suicides either. Yeah. And that kind of stuff happens around here too. Wow. It's, yeah. I mean, and I want to talk about so many different things with you, but it, I do want to, jump over and kind of content switch a sec and come back to this because I think that there are two sides that that join well between your climbing and things like this you've experienced. Um, So one, I mean, you have, you have first ascents, you have records, you soloed the nose. There are so many things that you've done that are beyond anything that I can actually even comprehend as a crag climber. (laughs) (laughs) um, Yeah. So what was what kind of caused that? What what stirred that in you to go after these really mega hard suffering? And you said it today, like you're trying to find people that, you know, would maybe want to suffer with you. <laughs> <laughs> what what got got you there? That's a pretty big thing. Oh wow, that's an interesting question. I think there's these places that I've experienced in my life where I am just every single time struck with the awe, the immensity of something in nature. Uh, Standing on the shore of the Pacific Ocean, I grew up in Pescadero, a little tiny town on the coast of California, like kind of rugged coastline out Mm -hmm. there, really wild. 
And I think just every time you stand by that ocean, you get hit by that sense of, wow, there's something so much bigger than me. And it makes you feel small in, in like a really good way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, I think the Redwood Forest is another place where I feel that way. Those trees that have been around for thousands of years. You're like, oh, we're nothing. We're nothing. In a blink yeah. of the eye. <laughs> yeah. In a, a Redwood tree's lifetime. And then my first time coming to Yosemite as a climber, I think I'd been here as a kid, maybe six years old or something. I don't really remember it. But when I came here, I think I was 17 or 18. I was on my way on a trip to the Eastern Sierra to go bouldering, sport climbing, just play around over there. And we stopped here in the valley one evening, uh, just as the full moon was rising. We pulled into El Cap Meadow. We sat in the meadow and watched as... People's headlamps came on. That we call that the El Cap constellation. Because there's always like a few lights <laughs> oh, yeah. make up some design on the face. Oh, it's and amazing. Then the the granite just turns that silver color as oh, the yeah. moon rises and lights up the granite, almost like daylight. It's so oh, yeah. it absorbs so much of that light. And we just sat there in that same kind of awe. And I thought, oh, someday, someday I want to climb that thing. Like, I want to be up there. I want to be one of those little headlamps up there. <laughs> I want to feel small, you know? Yeah. Uh, so that was yeah, yeah, probably five years or so before the first time I ever climbed El Cap. But wow. that, I think that was one of the defining moments in realizing that, yeah, I did want to learn the skills and go bigger. And... Then I had some friends that knew how to do some of the things, and uh, I learned how to trad climb because I hadn't placed cam in my life at that point. Oh, sure, yeah. I didn't sure, even yeah. know what any of it was about, <laughs> clip bolts and landed on crash pads. Uh, so I learned how to trad climb, and then a friend of mine that was uh, Ivo Ninov, I don't know if you've heard his name, but oh, yeah. he was a fairly oh, prolific yeah. <laughs> valley climber at that stage. I think he was, you know, he had a speed record that he was on the cover of climbing magazine like right then when i was like oh, i really got to climb el cap oh, man. and i was chatting with him and i was like what do you need what do i need to do to climb el cap and he's like i ah, just show up in the valley and you need to get some jugs some aiders and some daisy chains and then like the rest <laughs> of your trad gear and then like just show up and i was Hell like yeah. okay <laughs> so i bought all that stuff and i i quit my job i Took a semester off of school. That semester, by the way, turned into, I think, six years before I actually went back to school and got my <laughs> undergraduate degree. But uh, I was like, yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go on this trip. And I started in Joshua Tree where I kind of honed some trad climbing skills. Yes. I went to the creek that spring where oh, I actually yeah. like learned how to crack climb. <laughs> and then I showed up in the valley. I'm like, how do I use this stuff? What do I do? <laughs> There were probably four or five dudes sitting at the base of the LeConte boulder drinking Cobras, telling me what oh to do. Oh <laughs> I'm like, shut the hell up, you guys. Just let me figure it out. <laughs> uh, so I did, you know, I did a couple of these like single pitch things, Swan Slab, LeConte boulder, figured out how to do the things that you had to do to aid climb and to jug a fixed line. And met some random dude in camp four and went up and bailed off of the south face of washington column oh shit. and then some other dude went up 
Leaning Tower. I think Evo told us so we could climb Leaning Tower in a day, and it took us like two and a half days, and we fully epic, but we made it to the top. Hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Uh, and then I spent a, a couple more years kind of learning how to do some of that stuff a little better. Spent a bunch of time up in Tuolumne learning how to climb some of just longer routes up oh, there, yeah. being in the alpine, scrambling around a bunch, getting just a better feel for climbing on granite. Yo, sure, sure. Um, and I decided after that Leaning Tower experience that I wanted to be better at it, and I went back and I soloed the Leaning Tower um, in two days. Wow. Because I was like, I want to know that I know how to do this stuff because it kind of epic that first time and like yeah. kind of needed to get bailed out by my climbing partner because I couldn't figure out how to clean the stupid <laughs> overhanging pitches. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so I went back and I soloed it. Um, I remember carrying the hall bag to the base up there, which if you hiked to the top to the base of Leaning Tower. No, I've not. It's like a heinous talus field. Oh, yuck. A little bit of a, a schlep uphill with big heavy haul bag. And I lost my balance in the talus field with the haul bag on. Probably like a 70-pound haul bag or whatever. And I wound up like turtled, upside down turtled with the haul bag on my back in oh, the talus no. field. And I was like, I can't even get up. Maybe <laughs> I should bail right now. <laughs> <laughs> bail on the approach <laughs> and I was like no I could do this I took the haul bag up like sat it upright put it back on my back and stood up got to the base slept at the base that night and then looked up at the wall and I was like that looks really scary I don't know if I could get down if I can't get up because it's so steep oh sure it's like it's gonna be harder to bail maybe I should bail now <laughs> before I even start <laughs> bail thinking about bailing from the wall yeah pretty much <laughs> and i was like yeah but i could figure out how to get down if i if i really had to like i think i could figure it out and i don't know if i'd ever forgive myself if i didn't just try like i yeah. already told myself that i should try to do this thing so so i did it jesus and that was the first wall that i soloed um wild that was maybe was that it was probably 2009 or something like that i think Wow. And, and that was to prove to yourself that you could dial the system yeah, in yourself. Yeah, that I in. knew yeah. all of it, that I could do it. Wow. So, and yeah. And, and that... I also had a friend that maybe I had a little bit of competition with. Uh... He had done it the year before solo. <laughs> uh, my buddy Charlie, who, like, I don't know why I felt that way about it. But I was like, if Charlie could do it, I could do it. Hell yeah. <laughs> I, I get that sense from you that there's the competitive edge like in a healthy way. But then also like you're maybe not necessarily, and, and you are, but you're not fully just seeking the next big thing, but you're seeking the next big thing out of yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, can I do this the best way, the proper way? Mm -hmm. And at like the top of the game. Mm -hmm. um, because I think for a lot of even like really hard climbers the thought of soloing el cap is not necessarily something that's really in their mind yeah um that's i mean that's that's wild it's yeah it's a wild thing and <laughs> yeah. it's also like if like i don't think i ever would have thought about soloing el cap if other people hadn't done it before sure. me. Uh, how many women did it before you 
I think maybe there were three women that had soloed the nose before I did it. Wow. Um, maybe maybe four. I don't know exactly. Um, wow. I know that uh, Chantelle Astorga, uh, you know her name, but oh, yeah. she oh, was... Yeah. She was trying to do it solo in a day, which hadn't been done by a woman before. And then my friend Shane Limpy had soloed it in a day. Scott Deputy had soloed it in a day. These are a couple guys I was on the SAR site with. At the okay. Time. Oh, wow. Um, and I was like, okay. Like, I could, I could do it. I don't know if I could do it in a day, you know? Yeah. But, uh, there, w- there was that record kind of hanging there of like, oh, a woman hasn't soloed it in a day. Damn. Um, I think Chantel tried it a couple times, and then Miranda Oakley, who was the one that actually did it first in a day, uh, the first woman that did it in a day. Yeah. Um, On August 5th of 2016, Miranda Oakley completed the 3,000-foot trad and aid route, often referred to as the best rock climb in the world. Grade 659C2 in 21 hours and 50 minutes, making her the first female to rope solo the nose in a day, beating her own previous time of just under 27 hours. Now, I am absolutely not the right person to explain how to rope solo a big wall. I've only ever rope soloed very short and very easy terrain just to get a sense of how it's all done. So, If you're super curious about it, I've included what I think is a pretty great and general explanation in the show notes. Pete Whitaker talking about rope soloing, El Cap. However, what I will mention to give a sense of the incredible amount of work involved in rope soloing is you first lead the pitch, then you descend back down to clean all of your gear off the route, and then Jumar back up and repeat again and again and again. Also... The very first time I ever met Josie was out at Smith Rock in Oregon. I was there for the She Moves Mountains Climbing Clinic to chat with Lizzie, episode 4, and take some photos. Prior to jugging the fixed line to take tops down shots, I had mentioned how great it would be to climb El Cap someday. As I'm jugging, I said something to the effect of, Ugh, this always makes me so tired. And then a voice. You'll have to get a lot faster if you want to climb El Cap, dude. And that was Josie. (laughs) And of freaking course I knew who she was. And yes, I was very embarrassed. I was like, well, I'll try. See what happens. And it was more of a, like, okay, what? I I remember thinking, like, what's the worst thing that could happen? But that's not a good way to put it. Because the worst thing that could happen is, like, you could fuck up and die. Yeah, yeah. But, like, worst Mo- like worst likely scenario sure is that it just takes a really fucking long you're time. there for yeah like i know i can do it yeah i had climbed the nose a couple times before that i had led in the in the couple times that i had climbed it i had led all of the pitches like somewhere in there wow like, not jesus not as the whole route together but sure, i sure. knew i had led all of the pitches so like i could wow. do it um i'd done it probably it's kind of silly to say this but i think like 15 hours was the the time that I had done it. Like the first time that I climbed it was the fastest time that I had climbed it. And I was like, oh yeah, okay. So maybe it'll take me twice as long. <laughs> um, and I knew I could, like, worst case, I get tired up high and it's just cam jugging. It's like splitter cracks up there. Sure, yeah. Like, I can do that no matter how tired I am. And I think I always... 
feel that way about myself is like I can always put one foot in front of the other no matter how tired I am and that's basically what it is up high it's like one foot in front of one cam in front of the other or yeah. hand jam in front of the other it's not that complicated up high when you're really tired so I decided to do it not really even with the goal of doing it in a day that first time just to like see what happened and it took me 30 hours wow. on my first go of it and and then it was still like it still hadn't been done in a day by a woman. Like I could do it for sure. I Hell could do yeah. it faster. Like I messed up all kinds of things. On that. <laughs> like I could do it way faster. Um, meantime, before I got a chance to do it again, Miranda sent in twenty two hours or something like oh. that. And. Uh, which like I'm super psyched for like just proud that she did it. Oh you yeah. Know? Like sure I wanted to do it first, but like that was not <laughs> the goal. Like totally. the goal was kind of just to do it. Yeah. Um, and so I think it was it was like March or April the first time I did it. Um, I tried it again another couple times that season, just trying to do some shortcuts. Um, bailed off of it because it wasn't going faster. The the things that I had tried to do weren't working out to make oh, it faster. Sure. Um, and then November that season, it had cooled off. It was the full moon. <laughs> I had just had one of my best seasons, like October, early November in the valley all time. At that point, I was really fit. I'd climbed the nose in about eight hours earlier that season. <laughs> so I was doing it faster, doing it yeah. better, and it was time to go do it in a day. And wow. so I got ready to go do it in a day, and I actually was moving really fast, really efficiently, got up to just below the Great Roof. There's a little ledge that you can sit on down there. Um, it's maybe like a two by two foot ledge and it got dark right then and when you're climbing if anybody's climbed anything really big and pushed till the nighttime you probably know the feeling of how you're in a hurry until it gets dark because you want to get as much done as you can in the daylight sure. but when you're trying to do something in 24 hours inevitably it's gonna be dark yeah <laughs> for some of that time especially in november where there's not that much daylight yeah uh, so it got dark and I was like, okay, well, it's dark now. No need to hurry. I'm going to sit down and have a snack. And I sat down on this little two by two ledge and pulled my water bottle out of my pack and set it down next to me, like in between myself and the wall. And, uh, then I'm rummaging through my pack and I did something with my elbow and I knocked my water bottle and my water bottle took the whip Oh, off from, no. <laughs> you know, just over halfway up the nose. Oh, my God. And I had in my other water bottle maybe like three ounces left oh. of water. And I was like, I am, I, I was sending. I was going to, I probably could have done it in like 18 hours. Just like if I continued at that pace. Yeah. And all of a sudden, like the the wave came crashing down on me i was like oh i can't do it like i can't do it with that much water left yeah. and i just about cried like i was this close to tears and then i said josie 
tears are valuable water. Like you can't be losing water right now. No tears. Yes. Oh my god. Well, you just gotta, you just gotta do it. Like there's no. I had one rope. Like there wasn't really any bailing from that point. Like you bail up, which is kind of the running joke. Is like at some point, (laughs) the only bailing is just to keep going. Just keep going up. Uh, so it was some mental digging deep and damn i had been doing a lot of mental work that season to not get overwhelmed by big objectives because i noticed on my previous attempts that a lot of what had worn me down was the mental strain of all of it sure sure like oh my gosh i have to do this much yeah that's so i had done a lot of work of just focusing on like one thing at a time and trying to enjoy the movement enjoy the moment of climbing and and to try to remember why I was up there the whole time rather than like just to get to the top in under 24 hours. Like oh, it's totally. actually fun to go rock climbing. It's pretty cool to go up there and do the nose solo, like climbing pretty quickly, efficiently, doing all the things that it takes to climb oh, yeah. a big wall by yourself. It, it feels pretty fun. It's a pretty liberating experience oh, to do it. And so <laughs> just kind of going back to that mental work that I've been doing right there on that ledge in the dark, lost my water bottle. Okay. You just got to do one step at a time and keep going up. And oh man, I was dehydrated. I can't even imagine. Uh, But I did it in like 23 hours and 20 minutes or something like that. Good Lord. (laughs) And I got to the top. I actually, I thought I had an extra hour because I was looking at the time the wrong way. I thought I was at like 22 hours and no. I'm not in a hurry. And then all of a sudden, right before I got to the top, I was like, oh, shit, I've got a half hour left. Like, I got to go. Got a motor. <laughs> <laughs> I get up there and just like dumped my stuff by the the tree that's at the top of the nose. Yeah. Like, you've probably seen it. It's the tree that those guys tag when they're doing the speed oh, record. Sure. Like, all that stuff. So I dumped my stuff there, and I went scrambling all around. There's a few little spots where people generally cache water up there. Like, you know, there's these little caves and spots. And oh, so yeah. I just, like, dumped everything and went running and looking for water, and I found a cache of a few gallons, and I picked up a gallon of water and chugged it. And set it down. And then I started crying. Oh, no. (laughs) Like, then I allowed myself to cry. (laughs) You've replenished the tear storage. Oh, my God. And I was, like, really emotional. (laughs) Oh, I can't even imagine the wave of emotions. Like, so, I mean, every kind, right? There had to be every level. (laughs) Jesus. Wow. Like, that's... I like let that whole story sink in because I knew I knew that there was a time when you had lost your water. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize it was this particular time. Yeah. Though. I thought it was like a different. No, you know, out, it was like, on the send. Jesus. <laughs> wow. No. That's incredible. Oh, my God. Some so her, some horrendous suffer pushing. Yeah. And I don't know what it is that I found. You know, people you probably heard people talk about the types of fun. Oh, like yeah. Type one fun is the stuff that's fun in the moment, like fun to think about afterward, fun to tell stories about. And then type two fun is the fun that is not fun in the moment. But it's fun to tell stories it's about fun afterward, to tell the story. and so this exactly. is like a classic type two fun thing. That's very that type I just two told fun. You about. Yeah. <laughs> but what I found about myself is that the more type two fun you have, the more you're able to almost 
retrospectively look at it even when you're in it and kind of laugh about it. Totally. Like, this is really fucked up. Right. I'm in pain. (laughs) I'm exhausted. I'm dehydrated. I'm hungry. I'm bonking. And I still have a thousand feet of this mountain to climb. (laughs) (laughs) It's all training, right? Yeah, totally. (laughs) You can look back and say, yeah, that was fucking awesome. (laughs) That is so good. I don't know the ability to laugh at yourself and be like, you know, I put myself here. Like, I, chose I willingly this. chose this. Exactly. So. I mean, something as silly as, like, taking that spill today and, like, you know, having some, like, open wounds. I'm like, I'm just going to keep, I'm going to finish the run up. Like, I'm not, I'm not hurt. Yeah. I'm not dying. Like, this is ridiculous. But I chose this. And you know, you know, you know, no matter what. Yeah. Something can happen. Yeah. Um, Which I, I hate to just keep, like, having these really, like, hard segues. But I think this does um, go well. Okay. You know what? Ah. Yeah, let's pass the, we're <laughs> passing the whiskey bottle over. <laughs> a, I'm like swatting away a bunch of flies, and then B, it's we, just a whiskey conversation. I, I mean, I mentioned that as a thing that we, um, after some of those horrendous SARS, right. we would pass the whiskey bottle around. They used to have us do the CISDs, the critical incident stress debriefs, after mm. dealing with a particularly traumatic SAR, we'd go in and talk about it and talk about like what is a normal process for dealing with trauma and it, it supposedly helps mitigate symptoms of PTSD or, or to know if you are experiencing symptoms oh, of sure. PTSD what to do and the steps to take so yeah these critical incident stress debriefs and we go and do those like that's the formal thing and then we go back to the SAR site and then we'd have the CISD in a bottle which totally I mean, it's, it's needed. It's, <laughs> it's what they say is not the healthy way to do it, but, you know. It's camaraderie. Yeah. I mean, well, and, you know, there's some serious stuff that's happened, some very serious stuff that's happened um, around you and in your life. And, um, you know, one that I would, I would like to talk about, to whatever extent, you know, you're comfortable, was when you and Quinn were uh, climbing and she fell from, I hope I get this right, the boot flake mm-hmm. all the way, and it's, it's almost even hard to say, to the Texas flake. Mm-hmm. 100 feet? Uh, yeah, at least maybe Ugh. 120. I, yeah, not totally sure exactly, but I mean, if you stand here at the meadow and look up and you and you see those two features, that's an impossible distance. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's so far. Yeah. Um. And uh, you know, really, I'm curious. Well, so many things, but how has that impacted your choices since then? In, in speed climbing and in, you know, because that's, you were going not for, was it for a record or you were just speed climbing, kind of training for that style? Yeah, we were, we were on a training run. We were trying to see how fast we could climb the nose in. So yeah, we were definitely trying to go fast. Yeah. We weren't attempting to go for the record. That wasn't really our, our goal at that point. We were, what we had really both dreamed of and talked about was doing the triple. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Watkins Half Dome in the nose in a day. And we Hell figured yeah. that if we could climb the nose in six hours, that that was like what we wanted to be able to do it in if we were going to go for the triple. Oh, sure. Um, and so at that point, you know, we'd done it in just under eight, 750 or something like that the previous time. And so we were like, okay, if we can shave another hour and a half off and, and like, do another lap and shave another something off. Like we, we'd be able to get there. We figured. Yeah. Um, 
And so. And, and forgive yeah. me for asking such a, I hope this doesn't sound crass or just horrible, but I mean, you know, the two of you are close friends. And so yeah. when you're there, I, I want to say like, what was that like? Yeah. Yeah. But, well, it's just kind of going back to what you're talking about, the distance and you saying like looking at those features, what it was like, uh, so somebody saw the fall that was standing there next to Tom Evans in the meadow, Tom, who takes the photos out there. And I think it, you know, this is third hand me hearing it, but I, I believe it was Tom saying that the fall was unsurvivable. Like looking at that, oh, like knowing yeah. what was up there. Cause Tom knows that mountain so well. He's oh, like, sure. Oh yeah. Like there's no way. And yeah, it's, it's shocking that she survived it. Very much so. Um, and I, Seeing it happen, seeing her impact, yeah, I, like, half figured she was dead or, like, dying on me. Um, and it was all so split second, like, all of these things going down, going from, like, oh, the worst possible case scenario, you'd get emotional and react about it, but you can't do that. Right. You just go into, okay, I gotta do some shit. Yeah. Sorry. If my, no, please. <laughs> can I say shit on here? <laughs> of course. Uh, I remember, you know, because I don't know if you've had first aid training of any sort, but unfortunately, I've not. Ah, you got to take a course. I know. Um, <laughs> Hopefully, there's a wolf for one coming but, up in Mammoth soon that'll be in. <laughs> Anyways, continue. <laughs> any type of first aid, first responder training, which I teach and had been teaching at that point when this this accident happened. Uh, you, you make sure that you don't create another victim. Like, one, I'm number one, like, take care of scene safety. Right? Yeah. And you're like, okay, up here on a big wall, that's so real. Like, yeah. more real than you could ever describe in any sort of course. Seriously. Um, so I refixed my rope, which I had just taken off of the bolted anchor there because I was about to start simuling behind her. Um, and I just tied a couple overhands on bites, clipped it to the two bolts, and loaded my Grigri onto that fixed strand to rappel down to her because she fell past me. Oh she fell God. below me. Um, and I just remember thinking, like, okay, double-check your shit, Josie. Like, don't fuck this up right now. And it took all of about 20 seconds, you know? Like, it wasn't delaying me getting to Quinn. It was just me being like, okay, like, hold it together. Make yeah. sure you load your Grigri right. Make sure this is actually fixed. Uh, weight it before you unclip your tethers. That's one of my, um, weight test. one of my things that I always teach people in all the climbing courses that I teach is, um, check, like visually check your systems and then physically test before you transfer systems. Cause that's when a lot of accidents happen. Certainly. So I remember like checking all that stuff, physically weighting it before I unclipped my daisies from the anchor and then I was down to her within a minute of her hitting the ledge you know wow. I was with her which is like yeah it sucked that she fell that far and below me but it made it a lot easier for me to get to her true true you know? yeah um as opposed to having to climb or whatever yeah self belay myself to get up to her absolutely um, so I got down to her, and I remember she wasn't responding to me. Like I yelled her name the whole way down as I was getting to her. She wasn't responding. I heard some kind of gasping breaths, uh, and kind of the thing that you're like, she's she's dying on me right now. Kind of thoughts Oof. going through my mind, and got to her, kind of tried to give her a little 
shake try to get her to wake the fuck up and yeah. she responded a little bit and i was like quinn we're gonna like stay with me we're gonna do something and i as soon as i established that she was alive and like not bleeding out like she was bleeding kind of significantly from her head but it had slowed down um i put my cell phone on the ledge and tried to dial directly to the SAR cache because I was hoping to kind of skip the 911 system sure, and just sure. talk to somebody that knew. Nobody answered because that's not a, it's not an emergency line that's always staffed. It's just there might be somebody there. Got it. Um, okay. Nobody answered that. So I called dispatch, and, which is like 911, or I think I had the actual dispatch phone number in my phone, whatever. Um, and... The woman on dispatch started asking me all these questions, and I was like, my partner took a really bad fall on the nose. Um, and she's like, oh, ma'am, where are you at? Like, typical oh, 911 yeah. dispatcher yeah. kind of questions. And I was like, I'm a former member of Yosar. Just fucking connect me to Yosar. And she's like, okay, ma'am, what's your name? And I was like, Josie McKee. And she's like, okay. And next thing I knew, I was on the phone with Philip Johnson, who was my former supervisor and wound up being incident command of the incident and the best person that I could have possibly talked to in that moment, a, because he's an amazing dialed professional yeah. B because he's a good friend and like a really calming presence. Awesome. Um, so it was just really nice to hear his voice on yeah, the other thanks. end and be like, felt like this, is what happened. She's like in and out of consciousness. Um, and just knowing that time was of the essence yeah. with this one, like, I don't, I don't know the amount of blood that she lost having a spinal injury, uh, head injury, like who knows how severe of a head injury at this point. Like those are things that can kill a person pretty quick. Yeah. And knowing, having experienced how long it takes to get those rescues going was like, I didn't want to fucking talk to dispatch. Like, <laughs> I wanted to get this stuff going. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and, uh, it, it still took a while. It, took a couple hours till they got to us but honestly it was the fastest I mean, star that fast, i'd ever yeah. seen um and i sat there with quinn for a little while they called me back on the phone and told me that they were going to short haul uh so helicopter with a line with a couple rescuers hanging below the helicopter yeah uh into the wall a ledge like maybe 100 feet below us was the plan um to el cap uh tower Oh, okay, so, sure, sure, yeah. Um, that was the easiest place to insert the short haul rescue team. Wow. And they're like, Josie, if you can fix a rope for us, for them to jug up to get to you, you're going to save us a lot of time. And I was like, oh, man, like I, I was stabilizing Quinn, like trying to keep her from moving on this. She, like she had an obvious deformity on her spine, like she couldn't move her legs. And I like didn't want to move her a bunch. Um but I remember talking to Phil about this and him being like, you're going to save us a lot of time. And I think that time is important right now. Um, if you can fix the rope. And I was like, I really don't want to leave Quinn. Like, I don't want to move her. Um, but ultimately, it like, made more sense. So I yeah. went back, like, jugged back up the line that I had repelled and untied so that I had a little bit more rope to throw down. And there was a party below. And I was like, hey, can you just clip that to the anchor? rescue team's coming in and so they clipped my line that i had fixed to the anchor on top of texas flake down to el cap tower that like 100 feet or so yeah and uh 
that what Phil said after the fact and what Aaron and Brandon, who were the rescuers that came in, yeah, it was super helpful to get that line fixed down to us. So I'm sure they said more than that. But yeah, I, <laughs> well, I, mean, I don't think those were the words necessarily, yeah. but that was kind of the overall gist of the situation. Yeah. Was like that was good that that was able to happen. Yeah. Um, and again, it was an easy situation to do it. Like in terms of technicality of me jugging up a line that was already fixed and just throwing the other end down, like sure. wasn't that hard to do. Um, and then I just went back down to Quinn and hung out with her, and I think. It was less than three hours from when she impacted um, to when they short-hauled her off. Wow, Which that's was fast. pretty quick. Wow. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we packaged her up, and she was flown off. And so her and Brandon Latham went with the helicopter, and Aaron Smith stayed with me, and we rappelled down. And about a half hour later, probably after they short-hauled her off, Aaron and I were rappelling down the stove legs, which is, wow. um, like it's, you know, it's right it's, on the, it's on the prow there. The yeah. nose kind of sticks out. It gets pretty windy there. Yeah. And it was blowing our ropes horizontally. The wind had Jesus. picked up that in that half hour space. And I think like knowing what I know, having been through the helicopter rescue training, like all of the working with helicopters that we did on SAR, all of that stuff, like they would not have been able to do a short haul if it had been a half hour later. And that was talking to Philip about it after the fact. I just had a conversation with him about a month ago. He was like, oh yeah, we were, we were not sure we were going to fly that um, in the first place because the winds were already picking up. Oh man. So hearing that from the incident command perspective, like not knowing that on the mountain of what was going on, just like sitting there behind Texas flake kind of waiting. Yeah. That's what they were debating about. And then it would have been a top down operation that would have taken a lot more hours and who knows if she would have still been alive at that point. So Thank God for all the pieces right. of that rescue that came into place so quickly a lot and of got things her off right. of there. Yeah. 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 Um, straight Jeez. from me and I apologize to whoever it was on dispatch for telling her to fuck off. <laughs> Next week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think it's an entirely acceptable response. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. Uh, that was. So I, you did. You segued from me topping out on the nose in a day solo and crying when I got to the water up there to I didn't I was all in that business mode, that respond mode, even repelling down. Like I remember Aaron asking me if uh, if I could repel, like if I was emotionally capable of like keeping my shit together to repel. I was like, yeah, like, let's go. Let's get yeah. down. But I got to my car and fully broke down. Like, so it's, you know, I the bet. other end of the spectrum. Of like <laughs> yeah, right. High emotions up here <laughs> on top of El Cap and high emotions that, in the parking yeah, lot. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know oh, I can't even imagine what that must have been like, yeah. like for for everybody involved. But yeah, I mean, for you and like how how fortunate it seems like a dark word to use that you had all of those skills. Right. To be able to respond to such a horrific incident um, right then and there. Um, because, you know, if you would insert two, two climbers that are just friends who don't have those skills, but perhaps you have the skills to get up the wall, um, yeah. we could 
you don't have to like guess what could have happened, but it probably would have been a lot worse. Yeah. And I don't, like I said a couple of times there, it wasn't complicated rescue techniques to make it happen. Like in terms of physically what I had to do to like put a rope down to her to repel. Sure, like all yeah. that stuff is stuff that everybody knows how to do that's up there on El Cap. Yeah. Like you've done all the stuff to <laughs> just be up there. But um, I do think that there was something in the mentality and I mentioned this already like some mental training stuff that I'd been working on to be able to deal with stuff and to get stuff done when stuff needs to get done absolutely you know? and I think what you said was so so powerful about not being a second victim yeah um because without that training and without that mental heads head work I could see how that would easily happen to somebody that's just the most horrible thing that you can imagine when you're in that environment yeah. has happened. And it would be really easy to become a second rescue need. Yeah. Um, and so how has that impacted the way you approach your objectives moving forward now? Because um, that was what that was almost exactly two years ago. Yeah. yeah Holy the, shit. Yeah. The anniversary of it will be in just a couple of days. Like yeah. The, almost a week from now, I think. The 11th? Yeah. Yeah, the 11th. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I mean, I, I, I can't imagine what you've gone through in those two years, but you still, um, are, <laughs> are kicking ass out there. <laughs> You're still doing things that most people can't even imagine are possible. Um, but I have to believe that that has altered how you approach, um, the risk. And, and we talked about the, the climbing grief fund, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um you know, I, it definitely altered me and like fully changed me for a while. And, you know, I mentioned dealing with PTSD and the, the things that they did on SAR to help us manage that kind of stuff. Like that was, that was real PTSD that I went oh, through yeah. for probably six months or so of regularly having bad dreams about it. Um, having the repetitive thought process of like, what should I have done differently? What like, like just going through the thing in my mind over yeah. and over and oh, over again and like gosh. seeing the image of her falling, which saying that right now, I can still see it again. Um, but it's it's something I've made a little bit more peace with, I guess. Um, I'm going to close Let's see. Yeah. <laughs> I think I might have got a little segued from the question. No, no, not at all. No, just uh, parking lot <laughs> noise there was getting. No, not at all. No, you didn't say that was perfect. Like the the PTSD, then and the work that you've gone through to be yeah. able to continue to do these things yeah. that you love. And and so it was the first time I went climbing after that incident. A couple of weeks later, like I just went top roping and lost my shit top rope, like on top rope on a route, like easy route. It was just like bawling at the anchor. You know? Oh, like geez. just all I could imagine was myself falling to the ground oh. from there. Cause I seen that human form falling through the air, I think was a, something that stuck with me and just, I could feel it. Um, and so, yeah, it took a long time to work through that kind of thing. Um, I think ultimately, I love climbing. Some of that stuff that I talked about of of that sense of awe being in those places that make you feel small, uh, the movement, the being present, the mental work that I talked about of, you know, just doing this one step at a time and yeah. working hard and being in the moment and enjoying the movement, all of those things 
have made me a better person. Uh, like I wouldn't be who I was without, like in a positive way, without yeah. those elements of climbing. And then I wouldn't be who I was probably also in a positive way without some of the shit that I've seen too, oh, you yeah. know, like, and I feel like, yeah, Quinn's accident was something that altered a perspective and it was another element on top of many other things that have like layered on over the years. I feel like I have a pretty real perspective on what climbing is and what the risks are. And I felt like I, I even did before that accident. It was just like, oh yeah, it happened to my friend in yeah. my presence rather than like this guy that we responded to. Right. You know, um, but I, I would have some of that similar stuff after some of the rescues that I went on to. Oh, like, I bet. Oh, just, I can't even imagine. Yeah. I've even just having friends who, I shouldn't say even, that, that sounds rude, having friends that are EMTs and, you know, I'd go get drinks with them. There's one particular friend and we would meet every third week and, and catch up and stuff. And I saw him after his first death as an EMT. Mm-hmm. Somebody died on his, his uh, stretcher. And I had never seen him that emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I, I, you could see something flick, right? And, and it, perhaps it was would take a, you know, some time to get over and would kind of alter the way he went about his life. But I don't know how you couldn't be changed by that sort of thing. And yeah. a, lot of people, a lot of us don't ever see that. We see... We read about these things or maybe we see somebody get badly hurt or we drive by an, a, an auto accident, mm-hmm. but we're not the ones responding mm-hmm. and dealing with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have a lot of respect, not only for what you've done with with Yosar, it, it, but like what you continue to do for this community that, that we both cherish so much. Um, I'm a huge advocate of the mental work and understanding the risks. Mm-hmm. Um but all the back end stuff, dealing with the fact that we lose people or we mm-hmm. lose the ability to do what we want to do. Mm-hmm. We have friends that do that. And so you've been um, working with the Climbing Grief Fund. Yeah. Um, and that's that's really, that's, excuse me, but that's fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so like, Yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing. I think Madeline and Hannah are doing so much amazing work. Like they're putting their heart and soul into that project. Yeah. And, uh, the AAC is the one that is taking it on and like hosting the grief fund, right? Uh, and it is. It's it's opening up this conversation around grief. It's making it this thing that you know we all experience, and it's very real. And I think so much of our culture kind of just doesn't pay attention to it. We're like, oh yeah, people people die in hospitals and like it's this separate thing that yeah. happens to old people or like yeah people die in accidents like a car accident all the time right? yeah oh yeah absolutely um, yeah i don't know if it gets dealt with that like i don't think so i don't know if we address it really or have a good way to talk about it and it might be it's almost as like a language thing like we don't yeah. we don't have the words to express and we and maybe we don't know you know we don't know what happens to people after they die if, if anything yeah and yeah I, I mean some people have those answers like i think that that's probably a huge part of why religion is prevalent for people like i think so people appreciate having that story for lack of a better word yeah um yeah it's not such a finality to it there's yeah. there's something a way to look at it in positive spin, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. 
Um, but I think but, it's, yeah. it's so important to have those conversations because when someone dies unexpectedly doing something they love to do, it's really easy to say, well, they love to do it. We knew it could happen, so let's move on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that's also really, that's not healthy. I mean, because we're all here, and, let, and that's the worst case, right? Someone's passed. Yeah. Trying to figure out how to move on without them and then not having the language, like you said, mm-hmm. or even like the ability to have the conversation is mm-hmm. is not okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so like that's what I think Madeline's vision was with the grief, or is with the grief fund, is bring awareness to it and make it okay to talk about and then provide these resources for yeah. people. So yeah. there's the fund, um, which is there to help fund people getting counseling uh, or, you know, whatever resources they need. There's a compilation of a bunch of psychiatrists, psychologists, counselors that uh, have some experience within the climate community or just like good people to talk to. Cause I think that was one of the things that I found. I tried to see a therapist and nobody got it. Right. You know, they're just like, they're used to dealing with trauma victims, like people that got, you know, sexually assaulted or whatever. And they're like, yeah, well, you know, don't do it anymore. And it's like, well, I mean, this, this thing that I love hurt yeah. me it was yeah. just like a really different thing than what you're talking about totally. you know? yeah. <laughs> uh, so i yeah i saw a couple different people and was just like eh, okay this isn't really helpful to me yeah. Um, yeah talking to friends that had been through similar stuff was what was helpful to me absolutely and then working on something else very internally about my love for climbing and why i do it and and finding again what made it worth it for me. Like those were the things that were useful for me. And so I think going back to the grief fund is is having those interviews that those ladies are doing with oh a bunch boy, of people. Yeah. Uh, those are a resource too yes. to just hear people talking about it. And then like I feel like I, I could be a resource people want to talk to like – to have oh, you are. all of those people that have been through it, like, oh, yeah, I'm totally happy to talk to anybody. And I hope that other people that have been through that kind of stuff are also willing to talk to anybody that has similar stuff happen to them. Oh, later, yeah, you know. Later down the line, you know. Yeah. And uh, just watching the, uh, the, the like, two and a half minute preview, just seeing these people that, you know, I as a, as a climber look up to um, for inspiration and, and for motivation, right? Um, be being so willing to talk about these things openly um it's very powerful and it is a resource because it's like okay well if you do all these things that i hope to do someday and you can also talk about the the harder like the feelings about it Mm -hmm. it's okay for me to do that too so i think that's that's really well i think it is it's just such a positive thing i think it's great that you you know willing to be part of that it's also not easy to talk about this shit (laughs) No, but it's like, it's actually not that hard to talk about it, really. It's, I think, what is hard, I go back to the language thing, is we don't we don't know how to describe our emotions. We're not no. taught to talk about these things, you know? And so that's hard, but it's not emotionally bad for me to talk about it. You know, as it, long like, as we keep having those conversations yeah. and we're open to it for I mean, sure. And it brings up some of that stuff. And I think I started crying a little bit when I was talking to 
Phil about the rescue a few weeks ago because he went on did a did a talk with Quinn yeah. a few weeks ago at the uh, Wilderness Medicine Conference or one of those conferences. I can't remember which one it was, but um, him and Quinn did this big talk about the rescue. Yeah, and he called me up beforehand, and I was choking up talking about it again, which sometimes happens. Sure, and it's oh, like yeah, I bet. <laughs> you know, it's it's just part of it. Oh yeah, I think. But, yeah, but, one th- one thing that uh, it, like it's not bad and not hard to have those emotions. It's just another part of what it is yes. to be human, and at times being in those really intense phases of grief and pain make you realize that like, great, I'm alive and capable of feeling. Right, you know, of complex emotions and feelings. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which and is just the other side of the coin of your totally. elation, joy. Like, Absolutely. it's all part of that. Like, you wouldn't feel the extreme highs if you couldn't feel the extreme lows. Exactly. And I love so it's I, all I beautiful. Love how you say it. it's just part of it because it, yeah. it is, and we try to just bury that. Yeah, and it's not part of how I feel. Yeah, um, but it is. So <laughs> express yeah. it. Does you no good all bottle up inside? No. It took me thirty five years to figure that out. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, I'm gonna do one more, one more poll. Not that it's gonna get crazy. <laughs> just it's just sitting here. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> I'm feeling already kind of warm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well um, which alcohol does it know? does so we can end it on maybe a, a, your call uh whatever note you whatever direction you want to go um but this is this is my i really like this part because i get to learn something about you that maybe i wasn't planning to ask mm-hmm. right but however you want to end it i mean this is your this is your show so any single way something funny something great something whatever it is it's all yours Oh boy. Woohoo. <laughs> I also love putting people on the spot. I know. <laughs> this is the part where, damn it, you came with notes and I forgot. Yes. Here's <laughs> <laughs> um, something I was thinking about a little bit ago was this kind of dark joke that went around SAR for a little while was how did we come into this activity where. The way we describe how good something is is by saying it's not that bad. <laughs> it's like, wow. oh yeah, that route wasn't that bad. <laughs> We're like, oh, it's really run out up there, but oh, it's not that bad. Uh, it's just interesting. Just talking about the kind of that the two sides of the emotional spectrum as well as just something that's kind of innate in climbers. I think it's like something is good by it being not that bad i don't know it's just something to think about maybe yeah (laughs) this is supposed to be where i just like have you end it but at the same time is that like what is that because i'm curious about that is it is are we like coping or is that how we try to level it off as like i mean i was suffering but it wasn't that terrible because i can suffer more or Oh, that is hard. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Um, huh. I mean, we we knowingly put ourselves in challenge. That's yeah. why we rock climb. Yeah. Like especially El Cap, like you could walk to the top of it, right? Sure. And then yeah. Look over exactly. The edge. Right. Like it's not about getting to the top. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So true. And 
we like we don't do it because it's easy. We do it because it's hard and we're always continually seeking to find something that's challenging us in a different way and um I, I mean maybe that's not true for everyone that rock climbs, but I do think that that's pretty typical with climbers is like that's something that we want to do is figure out where that edge is and yeah. like what we're capable of and like I talked about with leaning tower. I was like, <laughs> Can yeah. I can I do this whole thing that it takes to climb a big wall? Like, can I really do it all? Yeah. The only way to know is to go do it by myself. And yeah, it wasn't that Boy. bad. <laughs> <laughs> you nailed the ending. <laughs> Amazing, Josie. Thank you so yeah. so so much. And on, and I'm really really mean this. I cannot wait to talk to you and like let's say three or three more years to see what you've done based on that. Well, it's not that bad. What's the next challenge you can take on? <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Oh, it'd be fun to, I, I'm going to think back to this conversation and think of more things to say, I'm sure. So, Oh, you're, well, you're going to be able to listen again. to it. So yeah, <laughs> let's do be it. A pleasure. Excellent. Awesome. Josie, thank you. Thank you. And that's the show. Josie, thank you so much for taking the time to sit for the Wilder Mind podcast. Thank you for doing all that you do to educate, inform, and build up others to adventure safely in our wild spaces. Thank you to each and every one of you for sticking with the pod, for sharing, stoking, and supporting. 2019's down, y'all. Let's see what 2020 has in store. The Wilder Mind Podcast is hosted and produced by yours truly. Theme music by the incredible Alexis Tia. Branding by the most amazing Finletter Creative. As always, my friends, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, and whoever you're there with, to your wildest self, be true. My mind grows wilder When I stoke that fire inside Hear the call in the distance it's a long road worth your while It's a long road worth your while It's a long road worth your while It's a long